Hi, my name is Mark Riggins, and I'm the senior pastor here at LifePoint Church. Thank you for joining us today. If you'd like a little more information about our church, check out lpchurch.us. I hope today's message is an encouragement to you. Well, today we continue our series with part two of IDK, A Guide to Better Decisions. And before we jump in today, just a couple of things I just kind of wanted to point out uh, for LifePoint Church, those of you who regularly attend, kind of want to celebrate something that's really happened. And that is a couple of weeks ago, as you know, Easter Sunday, and we had nine people who gave their life to Jesus Christ for the first time. We celebrated that. And then we also launched a new campus, LifePoint Rock Hill. We celebrated that. What you might not know is that a lot of times the old phrase is, Pastor, you're not as good as Easter Sunday, and you're not as bad as the Sunday after Easter, right? And so I was talking to some pastors this week who have experienced both the Sunday of Easter and the Sunday after Easter, and they were telling me that they actually experienced, you know, the high and low, right? Immediately, it's always traditionally a low Sunday, the Sunday after Easter. Some uh, reports are normally 40% or lower of the Sunday after Easter show up uh, again, and so, uh, so what I just wanted to celebrate here was, though that is traditionally a low Sunday, last Sunday for us at LifePoint with both campuses, we had our highest day outside of Easter and Christmas Eve, our highest Sunday attendance that we've had in more than eight months. And so we're just excited to see the momentum building. You don't get to see that if you're not in both rooms, but to see that God is continuing to build. And, and what that means is that you are inviting people, and we are grateful that you are doing that. And, uh, and I just want to also mention that we're learning a lot as we're going to the two-service model and you know, a lot of things that we're getting to do, a lot of things that we're learning to do. And, and one of the things I just wanted to make sure that you knew was that we have both elements are the same in each service. And so same amount of songs, same message, same announcements, but we have rearranged them, and you've noticed that probably, so that we can make all the, you know, the logistics work of everybody getting where they need to be on time. And we're still figuring some of those things out as well. Today I actually have a little extra time because of what we're doing uh, at Rock Hill Campus today. So uh, after the service, I get to just kind of hang out here for a few extra minutes. If you, we haven't got to connect in a little bit, I'm just going to be right up here at front for a few minutes right after the service today. Well, I want to kick off the, oh, that's, that's PG, who is our founding pastor, and, uh, and he's usually up to, up to something. And today, I just want to point out that PG, though I love him, is wearing a Tommy Bahama shirt like normal, but it's not as flowery or as loud as normal, so I'm a little disappointed, but I'm glad the personality is still nice and strong. Uh, he and, he and uh, Cheryl are going to Hawaii pretty soon, and so he's going to add to his collection when they get there. And uh, that was part of the retirement gift that we all, you all, gave him and Cheryl, and so uh, glad they're at the place that they can prepare to take that. Well, I want to start off today with a story that's a little bit embarrassing, if I'm honest, but I'm going to tell her anyway because I think it really helps with where we're going today. It was about two months ago that I was driving my truck up just north of Louisville, Kentucky. So, Steve, yeah. Now, Kim, are you from Louisville? You don't have to clap for Kentucky. Yeah, you can. You can. Uh, but I was driving up there in Louisville, Kentucky, and uh, the reason I was doing that is it was a last-minute trip that I was taking, and I was, what I was doing was I was wanting to go up and see for myself, this Asbury revival that was happening. If you're not familiar with that, that's really not an important part of the story. But it was a last-minute trip. Literally, day of, had a little window of like 48 hours, and I just wanted to go up and drive, so I, no planning, right? Took off and did it. And uh, along the way, unfortunately, at the end of that day, it was a long day, it was like 1 in the morning. And I'm like, man, I'm really tired, I could use a hotel. And Steve, you may appreciate this, but there were no hotels in Louisville because there was a farming equipment convention 
And so there was no hotel to be had. And, but to make matters worse, I'm in Louisville at one in the morning with no hotel, and my phone has died, and my charger's not working, and so I have no hotel, I have no phone, and I have no idea where I'm going. And the most frustrating thing is I am having to drive in an area I don't know without a map. I don't know if you've ever had to do that, but that's kind of where I found myself. And uh, yes, I'm your leader, you know, feel good about me. And that's where I was. So to make it worse, though, that night, it's one in the morning. I'm like, well, I'll just pull over to this gas station. I need gas. Anyway, I'll just ask them. They'll probably know. I, I went inside, and the guy's like, no, I don't know. I've never heard of Asbury. I'm like, okay, well, that's not good. And so I get back on the road, and I pull uh, onto the service road, and all of a sudden I see these red and blue lights flashing behind me, and I am getting pulled over. And so, yeah, you find that funny. I didn't find that funny, right? <laughs> And so I, pull, I get pulled over, and, and the guy, you know, the policeman, he comes up to, to the door, or to my, my driver's side window, and he just says, um, you kind of rolled through that stop back there uh, in the parking lot, the stop sign. And I'm thinking, well, that's the least of my problems tonight, but uh, until you pulled me over. And uh, he said, uh, <clears throat> where are you headed? I said, honestly, I don't know. <laughs> I said, uh, he said, well, where's the hotel? He goes, I, I'm pretty good. I, I'm from here. Just tell me what you're what you're searching for and I'll tell you he said where's the hotel and I said well that's the thing there's a farming convention I said my friend Steve's from here he probably knows about all about this but there's a farming convention and all the hotels are taken and so I don't even have a hotel And he goes oh that's no problem why don't you just call ahead at the like the next exit or two and you know you can just kind of do that in advance I go well that's the problem too my phone's dead and I could tell he gave me that look that you give somebody where you think poor poor guy how did they give this an adult a license like he should have never been let out on his own and he just kind of looked at me that way, and then he said, well, you know what, let me run your license, and, uh, and if everything checks out, then, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll let you on your way, and, and that's what he did. And, and I got to be, t- honestly, my thought was, well, you know what, if they take me to jail, at least I'll have a room, like they'll probably have an availability, and I bet somebody there knows where Asbury is, and they'll get me there, so I think it's not that bad. Well, eventually, I did make it to Asbury. I did even eventually make it home. But the one thing I committed to is I don't ever want to drive without a map again. That's the worst experience that you could have. And in this series, what we're wrestling with is this age-old question, and that is, how can I know God's will? And if you're facing a decision right now and you're wrestling with whether or not you should do this or whether or not you should do that, isn't that how it feels? Like you're being forced to drive without a map? Like, I don't know which way I should go, and it feels like God should know, and if he would just tell me, then I would, you know, I would know if I should go left or if I should go right. It feels like I'm driving without a map. Do I move? Do I take this job? Do I hire this person? Do I marry her? Like all these questions. If God, if you just make it known, and even if you don't follow God, even if that's, if you're new here and you're not a Christian, you would say, you know, I don't even know so much that, that it's God whose wisdom I'm seeking. The truth is all throughout antiquity, we're searching the higher power of some kind, and we're always looking for wisdom that we don't have. And as followers of Jesus, we're specifically looking for God's insight. And Here's the reality we looked at last week, and it's the context for this entire series, is when it comes to God's will, in fact, if you did a word search throughout the Bible and you were to look up God's will, you would see that phrase show up in three different categories repeatedly in the Bible. We looked at this last week, the three categories of God's will. Would you just say these out loud with me? Say them with me. Providential, moral, and personal. Providential is the things God's going to do no matter what. You don't have to pray about it. He's got it. He's doing it, and we don't contribute to it. Then there's the moral will of God. These are the do's and don'ts. These are the commands, which, again, we don't have to pray about this. We just obey him. 
Then there's the personal will of God, and some people call this the unknown will of God. These are the known, and this is the unknown. Like, God, do I take this job? God, do I move here? God, do I you know, do, make this investment? God, do I move in this direction with our business? It's all the unknown things. These are the personal things that we saw last week God does care about. It's Paul who in 1 Corinthians 1, 1 said, I am an apostle called by the will of God. Very personal. He had clarity that God had a vision for his life, and he knew that he had revealed it to him. And so as we think about this, and as we think about the providential moral and, uh, and personal will of God, what most of us sort of get fuzzy on is that first one. We kind of know the do's and don'ts, and we know we want to know the personal, because we're kind of excited about that one. The one that kind of gets us sometimes is that providential peace. And as I said last week, I think the best example of the providential will of God is the reality that whenever God decided he loves us so much, and with all our brokenness, and we were separated from God, that God decided he was going to fix the chasm that we couldn't cross on our own, and he sent his perfect son Jesus to this earth to die on a cross so that he could pay for our sins, and in the process of his providential will, there were some people there in that first century who committed the worst act a human being could possibly commit, and yet God used their behavior to accomplish his providential will. His providential will was going to happen no matter what people did, and and in that, we see that God raised Jesus from the dead, and we have salvation. It's all part of his providential will. And as we saw last week in Revelation chapter 20, we also see that one day we will stand before God and be judged according to our deeds. And it doesn't matter if we pray about it, if we believe it, if we do certain things, it's going to happen. It's his providential will. There are things throughout Scripture that we see that we know he is owning, and we're just along for the ride. And this is one of those areas. It's his providential will now last week the way we ended the message if you remember though was to say well yeah but what if I don't have time to learn these categories in depth I just have a decision to make and I have a deadline time is of the essence here and all of a sudden our our question shifts from how can I know God's will to this question and that is how can I know God's will when I need to know now I got to know like by the end of April or the end of May I'm in a hurry here I have a deadline I have a decision that I'm facing and I need to make a decision how do I make a decision when I have a deadline what do I do when time is of the essence and I just want to tell you that's when we need a map that makes it clear go right go left go straight whatever and the reality is, and this is the premise of the series, is this. It is true. It's not so much that you have to wonder, but God has a vision for your life. And he wants you to know it. He gave his son Jesus for you. He's not holding anything back. He wants you to know it. So then why is it that sometimes it feels like we're driving without a map? Where's this map that helps me make decisions when I have a deadline? I need to make a decision and I want to know what God thinks about it. And the truth is, if you don't have this map, you may miss God's vision for your life. And I don't think there's anything more tragic than that. So with that said, I want to invite you to take your Bibles this morning and turn with me to 1 Kings chapter 12. And if you're not familiar, it's in the Old Testament. It's, it's uh, after First and Second Samuel, but before First and Second Chronicles. We're going to look at First Kings chapter 12, and this is a great story of a powerful man who found his map when he was facing a decision with a deadline, but he ignored it, and there were catastrophic consequences. 
1 Kings chapter 12, let me give you just sort of the context for this story that we're about to look at. The truth is, this is the third king was Solomon. You may remember the nation of Israel was the nation that God formed in the Old Testament through whom Jesus the Messiah would eventually come. The first king was a a man named Saul who wasn't great. And the second king was a man named David who was great. And then the third king was David's son Solomon who started off good, but by the end of his life, not so good. He's turned his heart from God. And as a result of that, God tells Solomon, he makes a prediction, Solomon, I am going to divide the kingdom after you die. And then he not only tells Solomon this, but God goes and tells a man named Jeroboam, I'm going to divide the kingdom after Solomon, the current king, dies. That makes Solomon so furious that God would tell this other person about his future demise that he chases Jeroboam to try and kill him, and Jeroboam escapes all the way to Egypt in order to save his life. Well, at the end, Solomon does eventually die. And when he dies, everyone assumes that his son, Rehoboam, would be the next king. And as Rehoboam is being sort of installed as the next king, Jeroboam, who's in Egypt, comes back with a handful of people and they just have one, they're totally fine with Rehoboam being the king. They just have one request. And that request forces Rehoboam to make a major decision. He's at a crossroads. He has a deadline. He needs the map. And he reveals the map. The map that you and I have access to as well. So with that said, look with me at 1 Kings chapter 12. We'll begin in verse 1. It says, Rehoboam, now remember this is the son of the king uh, who's now passed away, Solomon. Rehoboam went to Shechem, for all Israel had gone there to make him king. In other words, they have no problem with Rehoboam being king. There's no reason for him to feel threatened. And when Jeroboam, son of Nebat, heard this, he was still in Egypt. Why? He had fled from King Solomon. He was fearing for his life. He returned from Egypt, and so they sent for Jeroboam, And he and the whole assembly of Israel went to Rehoboam and said to him, here's all we ask. They say to Rehoboam, who has no reason to feel threatened, they say, your father Solomon, he put a heavy yoke on us. But now, here's our request, would you lighten the harsh and heavy yoke that he put on us? And here's our return, we will serve you. Now, in other words, they're just saying, look, Your dad, I mean, he made us build things. We had high taxes. He was just constantly wearing us out, even to the point that we had to flee for our lives. All we're asking is, we celebrate you being the next king, but would you not be so harsh? The easy answer to this point of decision appears to be for Rehoboam, well, yes, if you'll serve and do what you're asked to do, if that's all that we need to do, that seems like a pretty easy answer. However, for Rehoboam, He is at a crossroads because he doesn't want to appear weak, but he also doesn't want to rule like his dad did. He wants to be different. And because he's at a crossroads and he's looking for a way to make the decision, maybe some of you are there today, he did the first wise thing and he asked for more time. Look at verse 5. It says, And Rehoboam answered, Go away for three days, And then come back to me. Give me 72 hours to think this over. I need to find the map when I have a decision with a deadline. He literally now has a deadline of three days. He's literally 
kind of boxed himself into a corner, and he's given himself a very firm deadline. And what he does next is he says, I know exactly where the map is that will direct me in this decision. And it's the same one that's available for you and I. Notice where Rehoboam looks. Look at verse 6. It says, Then King Rehoboam, he consulted the elders who had served with his father, so they're a generation older than Rehoboam, during Solomon's lifetime. And he asked these elders this question, how would you advise me to answer these people? What should I do? What do you think I should do? Would you give me what you would do? In other words, you're more wise than me, you have more experience than me, you have a better perspective to me, and what Rehoboam reveals is this. His map was the wise people around him. His map was the wise people around him, and he just had to ask them, what would you do if you were me? Here's the situation. What would you do if you were me? And watch their response in verse 7. These wise people replied, and they said, if today you will be a, say this next word with me, servant. And this is the theme that you will see in their answer. To these people, and you will serve them and give them a favorable answer, they will always be your servants. There will be this mutual submission, this mutual servant leadership. The elders are saying, unlike your father, you have an opportunity before you where you can simply be a servant leader. And in this moment, this is the, this is the crossroads here, Rehoboam has this wise advice given to him. It's like wisdom has been presented to him on a silver platter. He has the map, and it's crystal clear what he should do. But this is where the story takes a turn. Because Rehoboam responds to this advice in an odd way. Look at verse 8, the beginning of verse 8. It says, but Rehoboam rejected the advice. He rejected the advice the elders gave him. Oh, if only Rehoboam would have followed their advice. But instead, watch what he does. The rest of verse 8, it says, He rejected the advice the elders gave him, and instead he consulted with the young men who had grown up with him. These are people who are his age. These are his buddies. These are his friends. These are the people he hangs out with. And they literally serve him at this season of life now that he is king. In other words, they're being selfish in what they're saying because they know if Rehoboam gets more power and more control, they will benefit from it. And they value their friendship with Rehoboam so much that they aren't able to be direct with him. These are his buddies. And Rehoboam says, these are the people I hang out with. Surely, I mean, yeah, I know they're not any further down the road than I am, but man, they seem nice. We like the same stuff. You know, we, we like to play Fortnite together. We do our things together. Like, this is a good crowd. I think we're going to hang out. I'm just going to ask them this advice. So look at verse 9. So Rehoboam asked them, what is your advice? Even though I know you've never faced a decision like this and you have no experience, what do you think? How should we answer these people who say to me, and then you can tell he's kind of getting snarky. He's kind of getting frustrated. What do we say to these people who are saying, lighten the yoke your father has put on us? You can tell, like, he's going to people who are younger, who are his friends, and he's frustrated, and he's looking for an answer that he wants to hear. It's sort of like if you go to work, 
And you know there's that guy who, you know, doesn't have a good rec- track record of how he treats women. And you've had some problems in your own marriage, and you go and you start complaining about your wife to this man and some things she said, and all of a sudden he goes, she said what? I'll tell you exactly what to do. And you're like, oh, you know, I'm going to follow this guy. You know, he seems to know some things. He seems really sure of himself. That's exactly what happens because watch how these guys respond to Rehoboam. It says, the young men, and the scripture wants you to remember who they are because it repeats it. The young men who had grown up with him, in other words, they have no experience. They replied, these people said what? These people have said, your father put a heavy yoke on us, but make our yoke lighter. And then they respond, I'll tell you exactly what you should do. I will tell you, now tell them. And you can tell they're kind of thumping their chest. Tell them, my little finger is thicker than my father's waist. My father laid on a, up on a heavy, you on a heavy yoke. I will make it even heavier. My father scored you with whips. I will scourge you with scorpions. Like you can just feel the testosterone from these young, inexperienced guys. Given advice, they aren't any further down the road, but they are telling Rehoboam exactly what he wants to hear. So now it's decision time. Look at verse 12. The clock's ticking, and three days later, here's the deadline, Jeroboam comes back, and all the people, to Rehoboam, and they as the king had said, come back to me in three days. And they're thinking, well, I hope, because I heard he reached out to the elders, that, you know, he's decided to not be so harsh like his father was. Because this is going to set the stage for the next decades of his leadership. It's a big decision. But unfortunately, this is where Rehoboam ignored the map that God had given him. And he follows his buddy's advice. Look at verse 13. So the king, Rehoboam, he answered the people harshly. Rejecting the advice given him by the elders, instead, he followed the advice of the young men, and he said, My father made your yoke heavy. (laughs) I will make it even heavier. My father scored you with whips. Well, I will scourge you with scorpions. And then watch the next sentence. So the king did not listen to the people or the elders, for this turn of events was from the Lord. And to fulfill the word the Lord had spoken or predicted to both Solomon and to Jeroboam, that after Solomon died, the king would be divided. And now the scripture is revealing that Rehoboam's decision really facilitates. And here it is. This is an unbelievable example of how the personal will of God and providential will of God can sometimes blend together. Because we see the providential will of God playing out in the free choice of Rehoboam. And what God had predicted is exactly what's happening. But what I want to point out is an overarching principle that we see throughout the Bible. And it is this, and this is so important, that God often speaks through wise people around us. In fact, you may say, well, why do I need the wisdom of others? Uh, You know, God's given me his word. He's given me, you know, the ability to pray. Why would I need uh, the, the input of others? Well, here are just some simple reasons. One is because sometimes we're just too close to the situation and we're overwhelmed by it or we're, um, 
we have a preference, you know, and, and we're, we're so close that we can't see the big picture. Also, our emotions tend to give us a fog to, to, to lose the ability of perspective and objectivity. And if you've ever been in love, then you know exactly what I'm talking about. And then third, we just sometimes, it's over our head. Like, it's a decision that we've never had to make. It's a role we've never been in. It's a crossroads that we just don't have the skill set or the experience to make. But the chances are there's someone around you who does. And so this is a great principle to sort of reinforce the reality that leaning on the wisdom of others, it is a benefit of the body of Christ. That as a church, you have access to people who have experience in areas that you might, may not, and you have access to them. This is a beautiful thing. You say, well, no, I just I have God's word that's enough for me, and I would just say, well, we're going to talk about that next week. But God doesn't expect you to ignore the wisdom that he has placed around you. It's a beautiful prayer to say, God, would you speak to me through the wisdom of those that you've put around me? Would you speak to me through the wisdom of those you've put in authority over me? Would you speak to me through the local body of Christ? Would you help me lean on the right voices who have wisdom in the area that I need it? See, God has a vision for your life, and he wants you to know it. And one of the primary tools that he speaks to you is through the wisdom of the people he puts around you. Now here's what's obvious. You already know that. Most people know there is wisdom around them. But here's the problem. Few people listen to the wisdom around them and even fewer people follow the wisdom around you. Case in point, Rehoboam. Think about Rehoboam. Rehoboam knew this principle better than you and I do. Think about who his dad was, one of the wisest to have ever lived. And the one who spoke about this principle more than anyone else in Scripture, he was an expert on this principle. Rehoboam knew that. All throughout the Proverbs, there is evidence after evidence given from Solomon to say, lean on people who are wiser than you. Maybe no more uh, well-known passage than this one in Proverbs chapter 15, verse 22, where it says that plans fail for the lack of wisdom. And goes on to say, but with many advisors, they succeed. You see this from Solomon over and over and over and over and over again, and Rehoboam knew this like the back of his hand. It's not knowing the principle that's helpful. It's following the principle that's helpful. And the truth is, what Rehoboam does is he knows exactly how true this is. It's why his first instinct was to go and seek the elders. He knew that principle. And yet something kept him from following their wise advice. And I believe it was pride that caused him to think, I want to be bigger and better and different from my dad and his leadership and the way he led and so he let the voice of his friends who were telling him what he wanted to hear to cause him to ignore the wisdom that God had placed around him. This is one of the biggest fears as a pastor is sometimes you'll say things that people are nodding at and you know they believe it, but you fear they will leave unchanged. Because it's not the knowing of this principle that's helpful. It's the doing of, it's the practicing of. Remember Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount said it's the practicing of the truth that sets us free, not in the knowing of the truth. He knew to do it, but he didn't do it. And i got to tell you, as a pastor for these last 26 years, I talk with people who will say, hey, here's a bad decision I made. I feel like I've kind of wrecked this part of my life. And oftentimes I'll just, in a nicer way as I know how, I'll ask, so did you ask anybody about this before you made the decision? 
And almost always the answer is one of two. They'll either say no, or they'll say no, but I prayed about it. And I always think, well, prayer is essential, but God doesn't want us to ignore the wisdom that he has placed around us. And I am convinced that most of the decisions that we regret, and all of us have those, could have been avoided if we had sought wise counsel from the wisdom that God had put around us. And so many people get mad at God and they think, God, you know, you allowed me to make a bad decision. And I sometimes wonder if God in heaven is saying, well, I put all those wise people around you, but you didn't follow the wisdom that I had placed strategically around you. But on the flip side, and I love this, on the flip side, there are so many of you, so many people who make wise decisions, not because they're so wise, not because you're so wise, but you're wise enough to listen to the wise people around you. And you listen and you follow what they say. I want you to see a couple of examples of this on this video of a couple of people that I get to serve with, Lisa and Ben. Listen to this. I have looked to my brother, Patrick, for wise counsel. Um, he, there are five of us in my family. He is the one closest to me. He's six years older. Uh, we had a lot of fun. He's a jokester, and um, we had a lot of fun growing up. He still is very funny, um, but he has lived his life well, and so I look to him for wise counsel. So my brother, Patrick, has impacted my life. Um, he, when he married his wife, they, ever since they've ever been married, they have followed Jesus. They've stayed in the church. They make all their decisions based on the Bible and what they believe um, through their faith. So he is a faithful servant of God and um, just makes wise decisions. He's very joy-filled, so he's fun to be around. Um, he and his wife have raised their kids with dignity and um, we watched them raising their children and we tried to replicate their parenting practices with our children so that um, in seeing how successful their children were being and how um, God-centered their family was, we wanted ours to be the same. And so he, out of all of my life, has probably been my biggest uh, faith-filled mentor that I have. Uh, someone in my life who's given me wise counsel is Chris, who was my youth pastor growing up. Uh, and then I got to work for him for a couple years after I graduated. Uh, at first I was drawn to listen to Chris's advice as a middle schooler just because he was fun and he showed up to my uh, baseball games. Uh, but as time went on, I started to realize how much wisdom he had to offer, uh, how much he cared. Um, and he was always big on uh, being open and sharing a lot of his personal experiences um, and not being afraid to share the messy parts of his life. Um, because he wanted all of his students to get to experience uh, high school and, and beyond without regrets. Uh, I, I can still remember when I was in high school and I had just gone through a breakup and I didn't want to talk to anybody about it. Um, somehow he had heard about it and sent me a letter and just encouraged me um, to not let it mess with me too much and to not let it keep me away from, from going to church or lose faith. Um, which in high school was, was so huge. I also remember when I was wrestling with quitting baseball when I was in college and just how tough that decision was and had been dealing with a lot of injuries, but also feeling like I wanted to start um, doing more in ministry and working more in, in student ministry specifically. And having conversations with him about that was so critical um, for me and, and just having them there to, to listen and 
uh, impart wisdom on me, um, knowing that it was a really hard decision for me to, to quit baseball, but also to encourage me into something else. I love that. And the truth is, following wise counsel, it will help us avoid most of our bad decisions. I don't know about you, but I am grateful for people who are wiser than me that I can talk to, that I can ask questions to, having mentors or having a wise board of directors that I get to walk with or having a godly staff that I get to serve with, having a wife that listens to it all because I want to make good decisions. I don't want to, I, I want to avoid the regret, right? Just like you want to make good decisions and you want to avoid regret. But here's the caveat to it all because I know some of you are sitting there and you're thinking, yeah, but here's the caveat and it's true. We all have experiences of receiving bad advice, right? Like there's been a counselor who just like filled you or someone you love's head with bad information. Or there's been a leader who's just kind of led you in the wrong direction. Somebody who just wasn't a wise voice in the end. And so the question is, is not whether or not you need to receive advice. We need advice. You know why? Because we need Wisdom, this is so important. In fact, this is our memory verse, Proverbs 1.7. It says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools will despise wisdom and instruction, Proverbs 1.7. Would you just say that out loud with me? Say that with me. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. In other words, Proverbs 1.7, thank you. In other words, it's not whether or not we need wisdom instruction. We know we need to have some kind of advice. The question is, and here's the struggle, who should we listen to? Who are the people that have the map? And so I want to just kind of wrap this up this way. I want to give you four tips in finding people who will help you with the right advice. Number one, make sure that you choose someone who has nothing to lose by telling you the truth. Friends aren't always the best people because friends, like Rehoboam's friends, they had something to gain out of what Rehoboam decided, and they valued his friendship more than they valued him getting the right answer. And so friends often will value your friendship more than they value giving you the truth. Number two is to choose someone who's where you want to be in life. I don't think it's wise to go to someone who's up to their eyeballs in debt and ask them whether or not you should take the loan right and this is the temptation is I'll go to the people I have the most access to and these are my friends and my co-workers and my neighbors but that doesn't mean that they're the wisest people and so going to people who are further down the road like you look at their marriage and you say that's the kind of marriage that I want to replicate like Lisa said these are the kinds of kids I want to raise this is the kind of career I want to model these are people who are walking with God in the way I want to walk with God they have a map I want to follow and I just want to ask them if they'll let me see their map and help me make this decision and on the flip side in the same way the truth is when we sometimes have opinions on things and we want to offer them to people we often know unsolicited advice is rarely heard right but we want to live our life in a way that people will seek our advice and then number three it's smart to choose more than one person it's in the multitude of counselors that plans succeed and then finally number four is preparing our hearts to hear God speak through them. In other words, this might just be a simple prayer that you pray before the conversation. God, would you please let me hear you through them today and humble your heart and ask him to speak because ultimately it's his 
wisdom that you want. It's his voice that you want. It's his guidance that you want. And he has placed people around you with wisdom that they are more than happy to share with you when we come with a humble heart. Now you say, well, when I get there, what do I ask? Well, here are the three questions I would recommend that you ask. Number one, are there any options as you've shared your story and you're at a crossroads, are there any options that are outside the boundaries of Scripture in the, in the way that I'm going about this? This is a great question, especially for new Christians, because what we're trying to do is discern, am I operating outside of the moral will of God, the do's and don'ts of Scripture? Is there anything that you see that you just know right off the bat, I am violating Scripture? If so, help me. Number two, what do you think is the wise thing to do? Not the right thing and the wrong thing. A lot of things are legal, but they're not wise right? But what is the wise thing to do? Now, I want you to tell you, if you don't follow God, this is a great question for anybody to ask those who are wise. What is the wise thing to do? And then my favorite question of all that I always love to ask of any mentor is this third question, and that is, what would you do if you were me? Don't, don't, don't worry about how hard this is for me to hear. What is it that you would do if you were me? Good question, whether you follow Jesus or not, to ask the wise people around you now if I can be real direct and a little pointed here here are two reasons you won't do it number one because of pride the same thing that Rehoboam struggled with is what you and I struggle with it's the same thing that Adam and Eve Adam and Eve from day one struggled with the truth is I want to say well I don't need anybody to tell me what to do or I'll think well I need to be the leader I need to be the one making these decisions But a great leader isn't one who makes all the decisions but owns the decisions once they're made. The main thing is coming to the right decision. But pride, and I think Rehoboam struggled with this. He didn't want to be like his dad. He wanted to not show weakness, and so he allowed pride to lead him away from the map. And then number two, the reason that you won't do this is you may suspect that you'll hear something you don't want to hear. And isn't that always, always a red flag? When I'm afraid to ask you because I'm afraid of what you'll say. That's probably the person I need to ask and listen to the most. At the end of the day, God has a vision for your life. And he wants you to know it. And he uses the wisdom of people around you to speak to you. Now, I want to close by going back to that story that I started with whenever I was lost in Louisville. No phone. No charger, no map, no hotel. Pulled over by the police, 1 a.m. in the morning, and the police has said, oh, you poor, poor soul, let me run your license, and I'll be back in a few minutes. Well, that's what happened. He came back in a few minutes. Here's the rest of that story. And he came back, and he, I rolled down my window, and he said, sir, here's your license. Your license checked out okay. I know you're lost. I'm from here, and I know the area well. So I called the next exit and reached out to all the hotels, and I found one hotel with one room left, and I reserved it in your name, and there's a lady named Susan at the front desk who is expecting you, and here's how you get there from here, and he gave me the directions. That policeman became my hero that night. See, I was lost in an area that he knew well, And he decided to show me his map. And all I had to do was follow what he told me to do, and I got exactly where I needed to go. 
And in the same way, there are people sitting around you in this room who may be experienced in an area you don't know well. And all you have to do is ask them to show you their map and they will tell you exactly how to get where you need to go. The truth is, following wise counsel, it will help you avoid most of the bad decisions. One of the primary ways God will reveal his will to us is through the wise people he's placed around us. Find those wise people. They are your map. Now, there's another tool, and I think it's critical when making decisions, and that's the tool we're going to look at next week. And so if you know someone who is in the process of trying to make a decision, would you just invite them to come and be part? And we're going to talk through making the right decisions, how to follow God's will next week. Let's pray. God, we thank you so much for just how great you are, how much you love us, how much you have a vision for our life, how much you want us to know your vision. And so, God, as we move forward, may we rely on each other. May we recognize the wisdom that you, of the people that you've put around us, and may we not try and make these decisions on our own. God, allow us to have the humility to take these steps, not to just know this principle, but to actually follow it. Lead us, Father, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen.